Hi, I'm Erica, and I'm a queer, neurodivergent member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm on a mission to spread empathy and create inclusion and understanding. I'm so glad you're here. Just a quick content warning to those who this may be applicable to, but um, this episode does contain very non-graphic um, discussion on cutting and also some very non-graphic discussion on um, suicidal ideation. I know that those topics can be very triggering for some, so wanted to give a heads up. I'm so excited to have a guest with us today, and her name is Carly, and she's going to tell us about her experience with depression. Um, Carly, thank you for being here. Hi, thanks for having me. So Carly, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I'm from Canada, lived here in Utah for the last 10 years. I'm a mom of four kids and I currently stay home with them. Um, I love to read and I love all aspects of musical theater, performing in it, which I don't really do anymore, but watching in it and getting other people into it. Well, I also happen to know that you create a little group for children to do musical theater. I do. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah, it's fun to have, fun to be in control of other people and make them get on the stage when I can't. (laughs) That's awesome. But the kids always have so much fun. Also, I know that you said you're from Canada, but during the time we've known each other, there's still times I've been surprised by hearing you pronounce dragon differently than me. I think it was we were together and you were said dragon and I was like, wait, what did you say? <laughs> you get that a lot from people. I do. I get it a lot. I get it so much that I've trained myself to stop talking like that. I no. Say. <laughs> Don't betray your Canadian self. <laughs> I've gotten pretty good though. Although I cannot stop saying mum instead of mom and, and kids will give me a lot of flack for that one. Oh, but it's cute. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, so... We're meeting today to talk about depression and especially in the context of being a church member and living the gospel. Um, When did you realize that you experienced depression? Like how long has this been part of your life? Yeah, it's been a good long time. It was when I was 13 that I started realizing I experienced this. Um, It came on, I feel like it came on really suddenly with, with, you know, the onset of puberty about that time. Um, well, it's funny cause I, I've gone back in my journal and <laughs> there was this one day that I was joking with, oh, so I grew up in the height of emo trends. Oh, and so <laughs> I was joking with a friend and we were like, you know, playing around with emo trends. <laughs> Not that that's how we like went to school, but just like we were at her house Yeah. and her, her older brother was making fun of us and saying, you're like the least emo person there could be. And he like joked that I'm. Cremo was, and so I remember <laughs> I'd written that in my journal about being Cremo and laughing about it. What does Cremo and, mean? Oh, just like the opposite of emo, like cream is white, right? So, <laughs> the opposite. <laughs> so it was just a joke. And then, um, and then like two journal entries later, I'm writing, I cut myself for the first time. And so it was a very mm-hmm. sudden onset for me. Wow. Um, it's, so it's been a part of my life for a long time. It's definitely ebbed and flowed um, with, you know, the hormones of puberty and also getting pregnant and having kids and that kind of thing. But it's been pretty, pretty constant for a while in my life. 
So do, when he joked about you being Cremo and you were playing with emo fashions, mm-hmm. was that kind of like a a stark contrast for you to realize like, but this actually might reflect how I feel or no, you didn't really realize yet. No, when we were playing with emo fashions, we were like just playing like yeah. just, it was purely fun. Just being girls, teenage girls. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but then you realize shortly after like, wow, I feel like some darkness inside. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. So I know that we don't talk about um, self cutting very much and it's, a pretty taboo topic, but I think it's something that's really important to talk about. Do you mind sharing a little bit more about that with us and maybe things that that you wish you had known or that other people had known or or what that experience was like for you? Yeah. So I remember when I was in junior high, um, I guess this would have been eighth grade, um, that it seemed like it was kind of a, a trend that I'm putting quote marks around that mm-hmm. at my school. Um, that there were lots of girls who were cutting. And if you found out someone was cutting, it was so, if you, if you weren't part of that group, then it was like, oh, that's so weird that they're doing that. And they just, they're just looking for attention. And, oh, I would never want to be like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's there definitely a dismissal of it. And then looking back, I wonder, maybe they were just looking for attention, but maybe they needed that attention. And I sure hope that they got that attention that they needed. I know that, that like if uh, the, our school counselor ever found out um, that they got to meet with him. And I, I hope that was a really positive experience for them that, you know, it's sad that you would feel like you have to cut self-harm to get the help you need, but yeah. I sure hope they got the help they needed. Yeah. Instead of just seeing it as like, oh, they're being needy or they're just acting childish, but taking it seriously and saying, if they need attention, then let's give them what they need. Right. And so I remember the first few times that I was cutting that I, I didn't want to be one of those girls. Mm. And so I definitely like tried to hide it and I didn't let people see it. Although, I mean, people definitely did. It's not a really an easy thing to hide. I remember mm. one time my mom saw it too. Oh, we were in the car driving home from piano lessons and she saw the cuts on my arm and asked about it. And she, <laughs> she asked, um, like, there's this episode of seventh heaven. I don't know if you remember that show (laughs) where there was a girl who was cutting in the episode and Uh, and then she got help. And my mom said, are you just doing it? Cause you saw it in that show. uh, And I said, no, I'm doing it because, because I feel bad. And I don't think I really had the words to express it. hmm. Um, And I don't think she knew how to deal with it either. And and I just said, um, like, don't tell dad. And she said, Okay, I won't tell dad mm. if you stop doing it. Uh, but looking back, I was like, oh man, like you should have told dad. We should have gotten help with that. And yeah, and yeah, it shouldn't be dismissed as just seeking attention or whatever. Or thinking that it's easy enough that like, okay, if we just agree that you'll never do it again, then it will. Did you do it again after that? Or? Um, I think I might have actually quit because I was scared of my dad finding out. Uh, and and um, and you know, maybe I never would have tried cutting or even self-harm if it hadn't been such a trend at my school, because I'm like, this is such a silly thing to say, like, it, it's not my thing. Like, it's not, yeah. it's not the thing that really is addictive or gets to me or whatever. So it was, yeah. it was fairly easy to stop. And I, mm. but, so it hasn't been a thing. It was since, more like since then. kind of a experiment of like, well, I'm feeling all these things and will this help? And then realizing, okay, it wasn't really, for me, it wasn't like the, I guess like the buffer or the escape that I was looking for. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. 
Um, I'm curious too, like, did you, so I guess you didn't really have that experience at school where you met with the counselor or you had to have people really noticing a lot. Right. I didn't. Oh, I actually had a similar experience with my friend <laughs> that um, she noticed it. And, and again, she was like, if you stop, I won't tell your parents. And, uh, okay. and I didn't stop for her, but I yeah. did stop when my mom okay. knew. Yeah. Mm, so there was a little bit of, do you wish that they had approached that? I mean, you said that you do wish that like, actually we should talk about it and we should get help for it rather than just being like, I know that, that this is very common with like a lot of, I've called them buffers before in the episodes of like things that you use to uh, try to escape like emotional pain or distress. Mm -hmm. And like, um, it seems like it's somewhat common with like buffering behaviors or, or behaviors to try to escape internal pain that people assume you could just like stop like, okay, well, now that you know, it's like shameful and you're just going to stop, you know? And I guess in this case, like for you, um, you were able to stop, but I'm sure it didn't solve your problems or make you feel less alone. Right. Yeah. I think it was looking back. I'm like, that was weird of them to think that, that this stopping a symptom was going to be good enough to solve mm -hmm. the problem. And maybe they weren't even seeing it as a symptom or were they maybe missing the mark of what was actually going on? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I think that's something that is important for people, for all of us to hear and be more aware of too, because there really are people that are in that situation that even if you said stop and they did, doesn't mean that they're okay now or that they were okay suddenly. Right. Um, so like in the context of like church teachings and the gospel, I've, I'm curious um, if there have been teachings in the church that are helpful for you with, with depression or even things that are, difficult, but we'll talk about helpful first. Yeah. Um, I don't know about helpful, but hopeful. Hopeful. Um, I really love the principle of eternal progression. I feel like even just here in my mortal life, I feel like I'm now I am not the person that I was 17 years ago or even, you know, two years ago, I feel like I am always changing. And I, I love looking back and, and seeing how far I've come, um, specifically with depression. Like it's taken me this long to really know how to manage my depression mm. and know how to, um, you know, see the ups and downs coming in advance and know how to manage those and handle them. Um, I think maybe specifically why I love the idea of eternal progression has to do with someday having a perfected and resurrected body and being in that perfected state and, and not having depression anymore. Yeah. I assume that won't be part of my experience um, in the eternal life. This is uh, so a, a back, a backstory. <laughs> One time in elementary school, I think we were learned how professional, professional athletes would train at high altitudes. Um, so that when they came back down mm. to a normal altitude, <laughs> it would like feel easier. And that's, mm how I've started likening my experience now. I feel like I'm training at high altitude and someday I'm really looking forward mm. to having having depression not be part of my experience and feeling like I can take a full breath and yeah. and experience things differently. And I don't know what the, I don't know what the next life's gonna look like exactly, but that idea of eternal progression in this life and the next is really exciting to me and gives me a lot of hope. I love that analogy. It's like you see yourself as training by living the gospel principles and learning the gospel 
with depression and then the idea of like someday I'm going to be able to keep living this way but without the depression it's like like you said you could finally take a full breath and be like wow this is what it feels like to breathe at sea level instead of yeah. up in the <laughs> mountains wow that's that's really beautiful um I'm curious if you could explain like because for some people depression won't be familiar or easy to relate to and like you describing it in this way gives some of that like vivid feeling of like it's like you can't breathe sometimes like but i'm wondering if you could explain like what does depression feel like for you yeah um well one thing i've noticed about depression um in myself and maybe a few others though my experience isn't that wide so i can't speak for everyone but is that it feels i really feel like jekyll and hyde mm. like i'll have um ups and downs and whatever state i'm currently in I cannot remember what it felt like to be in the other state. So when I'm depressed, there's, there's no remembrance of, of, but I was happy yesterday. Like, so maybe mm. I can get back to that. It just feels like life has been dark forever. Like mm. it's hopeless and helpless. Um, and I don't know if I can explain better, but that word hopeless is one that really, I feel like describes my experience. And then um, I have, I'm, I have manic depression, which means that I do experience highs and lows. Um, and then my normal is just kind of mild depression and then highs and lows from there. What um, do you mean by like highs and lows, like more depressed, less depressed, or like high energy depression, low energy depression? Oh yeah. So, so sort of mild depression, like low key depression for most of the time. And then I'll go really low, which is usually followed by yeah, more depressed. And then a high means feeling good and happy again. Mm -hmm. and, and in those moments I'll be like, who even was I yesterday? Like, why did I feel like wow. that? That doesn't even make sense. Mm -hmm. um, and I get to enjoy that for a couple of days before I start sliding down into wow. the, into the normal depression. But yeah, I just really feel like Jekyll and Hyde and, and I don't recognize the other part of me and I don't even know who's the real person sometimes because nothing yeah both sides don't recognize the other and it's um kind of weird <laughs> yeah that sounds like really painful almost like you're seeing these fragments of yourself and you're like who's the real Carly and like that sounds so difficult to be in a day where you're like I am deeply depressed and yesterday I could have been like oh life is feeling good and today I don't remember that and like, I see this going on indefinitely and that it, like it's lasted forever before this and it will continue to last forever beyond this. Is that how it feels? Yeah, mm. I did at one point in my life, it's probably something I should do again, but I took two sticking post-it notes on my walls of like something that made me happy or something that felt good that day. So that on the days that I can't remember what it felt like to be happy, mm. I can read those and I still can't, I can't get that feeling back, but I can remind myself that it was real. It was real at the time, mm. even if, even if my mind can't comprehend that now. Wow. That's like really making me think about like, I know sometimes at church we talk about like holding on to times that you've felt the spirit witness to you of something so that even later in life when it's hard, you can like reflect back on that testimony and hold to it. And that's kind of what I'm hearing you say about like depression. It's like an emotional level of like, I can remember, like I can't even remember the feeling of being happy or enjoying this feeling of living, but I, I know that I have a memory of that at least that yeah. exists and I can't feel it, but like, I know that I felt it at some point kind of. Yeah. And that, I mean, you're bringing church into it. So I'll say, um, we're always encouraged to like journal keep and that's, 
a good a good thing for me <laughs> to mm. have that physical record of it is it like when you look at your journal do you notice like there's times where like oh wow i was really happy and then times where you're like oh wow i wasn't doing well and is it hard to see that like oh you might get this out. Um, <laughs> i'm not that good of a journal keeper to, oh. <laughs> uh, to to like see that yeah much continuity okay, okay. <laughs> more like maybe you record highlights that you can look back on probably that, okay yeah i see i guess um i'm trying to think there's something else he said that oh yeah i was gonna ask you um with depression for you is it like a feeling of sadness or is it like a feeling of like numbness because i've heard about it kind of talked about in both ways yeah i think it can vary although i probably lean toward numbness actually my depression manifests a lot as anger oh. and so if i am trying not to be angry then it means i feel nothing because like you naturally want to feel anger but then if you're suppressing that then you're just right I would just feel nothing. Do you think it's better to feel it or to suppress it? Because that sounds really complicated. I think, <laughs> I think in real life, you know, like normal life, you're not supposed to, you're supposed to feel your feelings. But yeah. I think um, when your mind wants you to think there's nothing but angry or nothing but darkness, I think, mm -hmm. I don't, I mean, maybe this isn't the right answer, but I think sometimes I feel like I have to suppress it. Otherwise I'm going to hurt people around me because yeah. it's an overwhelming feeling. It's like too dangerous feeling. It almost seems like the depression adds this extra level of like intensity to like that emotion of like, I know it's hard for most people to feel an emotion and just lean into it, but especially with depression, it seems like if you leaned into that anger, you'd be like, well, this is just how I'm going to be forever. And who knows what I'll do. And this will just consume me or that. Right. I would think that's accurate. Yeah. You don't want to you don't want to lean in and be like, well, then I'm just staying in bed all day. Like, you know, you have to get up and do things. And so you got to put away that feeling and just. Yeah, especially when you have kids survive. to take care of and stuff. Right. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's <laughs> really hard. I'm curious, too. Like, um, I know that like what you mentioned about anger is I think is important because I think most people when we hear about depression, we only think of sadness. And I think most people don't even think about numbness. But like, so can depression manifest in like different ways like that? Or, like. I guess, what are the symptoms that are common for depression that people might not know about? Oh, that's a good question. I'm probably not the person to ask. <laughs> I don't have a wide, yeah, I, I'm not like you talking to people. Um, <laughs> but for you, it's not like if someone just assumed like, oh, you're sad all the time, then you'd be like, actually, it's more than that. Yeah, yeah, definitely more than sad. I, see, I think the numbness maybe would would um, surprise people because I, I sometimes think of it as a lack of joy that depression has stolen my joy mm. that I can't. Yeah. The inability to feel happiness mm. is more prevalent than the feeling sad. Oh, interesting. And I know that that's why some people are mo motivated to even do something like cutting because like, I just want to feel something instead of nothing. Right. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Um, did you have anything else you wanted to say about like church teachings that are hopeful or do you want to move to the next question? Um, probably the next one. Okay. So what teachings or aspects of church culture or even doctrine are difficult for you? Um, I think mostly culturally, mm -hmm. I, we, well, I mean, doctrinally we celebrate parenthood mm -hmm. and I do have um, a deep testimony of parenthood. I feel like parenthood has brought me closer to my God and my savior than than I would be otherwise. Mm. Um, but culturally, when we talk about parenthood and like, oh, it's hard, but it's so worth it. 
<laughs> I I can't get on board with those statements. I'm like, worth it? Like, mm. and it, and it, oh, it hurts to, to know that I'm not experiencing parenthood the same way as other people. And that, and that maybe that means I'm failing at it. And, mm. um, I, I really worry that, um, that it, that my inability to feel that joy is affecting my kids. Mm. Um, yeah, I really do feel robbed of joy. Like I, I love them. I know I love them in the sense that, um, that I desire their happiness over my own, but to really be able to enjoy parenthood is, is not something I experience on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, and so difficult teachings, there's, <laughs> okay, this one doesn't get quoted very often, <laughs> but it's in the scriptures. The the verse about it's better to have a millstone hung around your neck mm. than to offend one of my little ones. And I'm like, oh, I'm sure I'm offending them every day. You know, I'm so bad oh. at this. So, and you know, I already deal with. <laughs> I don't. I don't really want to be here. Yeah. So go do it. Hang the millstone. You know, like just mm. drown me. That that feels hard. And then also there's it almost the feels like an out. Like, well, if that's really better, then right? Like, yeah, <laughs> I'll take oh, it. Oh <laughs> man. And then there's the quote that does come up fairly often that there's no success in this life can can compensate for failure in the home, mm-hmm. and that always hits hard because I I do feel like a failure. You know, that's part of depression is feeling hopeless and feeling like a failure, and especially. Yeah in the home, I, you know, can't help. I think we all feel hard, like we're not doing enough for our kids. And then yeah. combined with depression, I'm like, well, I really am doing a crappy job because yeah. <laughs> they can probably see that, that my happiness is superficial sometimes. And, and how would that affect them? And, you know, along with the regular mess ups of yelling sometimes or yeah. being too harsh, not saying the right things. Which know? every parent does, but then you feel like there's an extra level of like, they see the depression part of me too. Yeah. I wonder if they can truly, you're supposed to offset the bad with, you know, yeah. 14 praises for one criticism or whatever the number mm-hmm. is. And I wonder, are they getting enough love to offset the, mm. if I'm not even experiencing that love? That's hard. It's making me think about, um, just like the paradox of like within the church of the teachings that, the joy that the home and family is the most important work we can ever do and will bring joy. And we teach that it will bring joy now and in eternity. Right. And it seems like you're kind of saying, um, you question like, what do you mean by worth it? And because you have that, you have, a seems like you have a testimony of eternal progression and like God's plan in the eternities. But as of now, you're like, you hear other people saying that it's so worth it because they're experiencing some kind of positive feedback right now. And you're like, where's my positive feedback right now? Like, is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, or? that's a great way to say it. Yeah, I'm not getting that positive feedback right now. Of like the satisfaction of I did a good job today or I felt this connection with my kid or I felt this outpouring of love in my home. And for you, it's like you almost can see other people having that and you're like, how come it's not happening? Like your radar is kind of turned off or something for the positive feedback. Yeah, I think that's a really good way of describing it. That sounds really, really hard. Um, and I'm also thinking of that paradox within the church of like, I guess that's what I was saying earlier, but like we have this emphasis on home life and family life. And yet at home is a place where you're supposed to be able to be yourself. Right. And like not wear the mask anymore. Like you can go out to church and put on the happy face, but where can you go that you can take off the mask? If not even at home, like if even at home, you have to be like, okay, my kids need to see me happy, even though I don't feel it. Like that sounds really exhausting and discouraging. I really appreciate how much thought you put into this, Carly. And um, 
how does living with depression affect how you live the gospel and how you perceive the gospel? Yeah, this question took me a minute to think about. Um, I talked about not wanting to be here. So I've like, since the onset of depression, um, since I was 13, I've dealt with suicidal ideation. Um, like, so for me, the gospel, it's like an all or nothing choice because if I believe the gospel, if I believe, um, in a savior and in my God, and I believe that there's a plan for me and that it's worth living, even if, um, even if I can't feel that now, even if I'm not getting that positive feedback now, Yeah. if I believe that it's worth living, then okay, I'll commit. I'm in for it, even though it sucks. Mm-hmm. If I don't believe that, then I'm out, mm-hmm. you know, and I mean like out, out, right? Like yeah. I don't want to, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to be here at all if it's not, if that's not what I'm living for. And so I think, um, I think in my living the gospel, there's been maybe a sense of urgency or at least a, a sense of heightened importance to, to really know, like, do I believe this or is this just some nice stuff and a nice, a nice family mm-hmm. to have on Sundays, you know? Yeah. So I do really feel like I have that testimony and I am you know, sometimes I wonder, am I grateful for that? Or do I wish I didn't believe it? And then I'd have an easy way out, but, easier. <laughs> but I do really believe yeah. it. And so, and so that keeps me here and keeps me living it. It's like you're at that tip of the mountain training and you're like, this is hard and I can barely breathe. It'd be easier just to get out of here. But you're like, well, because I believe in my purpose of what I'm training for. Like it keeps you going. Right. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that you went back to the training. <laughs> you're right. That's what it feels like. Yeah, because I noticed that theme kind of what you said is like you have this belief of like this goal that you're working towards, even though you can't feel it right now. And I feel like that really is a good analogy that you brought up of like an athlete who's training, you know, every time they train, they don't get the medal for doing the marathon, (laughs) but then they keep doing it anyways, you know, like someday I am going to do the real thing or I'm going to not the real thing, but, you know, I'm going to like get the promise of doing all the work, I guess. Yeah, that's a good point. They don't get a medal every time. That's kind of... um... Paul talks about running the race, right? Yeah. You're not going to get, yeah. yeah you don't really like get that. the payoff every time. You just get like the sore muscles and the, whew, I have to do that <laughs> again the next day. Like. <laughs> totally. Um, something, I guess a question that came to my mind just for understanding better is because I've talked about my OCD on this podcast and for my OCD, like getting into those mindsets of kind of the two extremes of like, it's all or nothing. Like I have to, train myself to not do that because my OCD just goes crazy with it. But it seems like in this case with your depression, like that having that all in mindset is actually helpful and beneficial to you. Is that, is that accurate or? It's accurate for me because I am all in. I mean, I think someone who was leaning the other way and then all Mm -hmm. all of a sudden felt all out, it's probably not a healthy way to be. Mm -hmm. Um, I think. (laughs) I see what you're saying. Like it's, it, it can be positive if it's really something that inspires you. But if it's like, there's only two options and I don't believe it, then that wouldn't be positive anymore. Cause they'd be like, well, no point then. Right. Yeah. Someone else would probably really want to find um, like a, a different kind of purpose or maybe multiple purposes. So it's yeah. not just one or the other. I think that's a common experience for people with depression is really having to have a strong purpose in something. Maybe, you know, I've only, I'll admit that I've only, well, I started talking about depression since I've been an adult mm-hmm. and my adult experience has been here in Utah. And that is with 
um, almost exclusively members just because yeah. I don't have the opportunity to meet a lot of people. Your who social circles are really kind of revolve around wards and stuff usually. Yeah. And so yeah. I don't know what that would look like for someone who's not a member of the church. Yeah. That's something I'd be curious about. I'm also curious if your depression, did you feel like it changed in intensity or the way it felt when you became an adult or became a mother versus when you were a teenager? Or has it kind of been the same thing you've been dealing with all along? Um, I would say it for sure changed when I became a mother. When I was a teenager, it revolved a lot around suicide ideation because mm. because I was I had few responsibilities. And so it yeah. was... The you idea. training maybe as intentionally for something. <laughs> That's true, yeah. And it would have been really easy to, to take the out mm. because I wouldn't have felt like I was leaving as much behind. Um, and so maybe I didn't. So I just thought of it in different terms. Whereas now I think of it in terms of staying, of who I need to stay for and what I need to do despite having depression because it's not just like, well, what can I, what can I find that makes me happy? It's what do I need to do to make sure my family is thriving yeah. even when I'm not? Wow. It seems like there's a lot of sacrifice that you put into what you do because you really have to base a lot of goals and decisions on the benefit for others that you love. Even knowing that you're like, well, I might not feel good either way. So I'm going to base this on at least what I can do for the people that I care about. Yeah. And I remember you asking before, um, you had said, cause I had said, I don't expect to ever not have depression. Mm -hmm. Um, and you'd asked me one time, then what gives you hope? And we mm -hmm. talked about that, but mm, I don't know where I'm going with this now. <laughs> no, but like, that is something that I, like, that's hard for me with like, when I learn about depression or think about it, because I'm someone who's like, I really have to have like a strong sense of like if I, if I have, like, I, I think I experienced depression, but not in a way that's, I think that for me, like depression more revolves around like um, being lonely or like, um, like the OCD stuff or like ways that I feel different. And the more I've come to accept myself, the less depression I've had. So I feel like I don't really have the experience of just having like chronic depression. And so for me, that's like really hard to wrap my head around of like, how do you, how do you keep going? Like, that's really hard for me to wrap my head around. But you've shared a lot about like having this higher purpose and having goals and things like that. I think I'm a very temporal person where I'm like, if I don't feel good today, I'm like, what's the point of doing anything today? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I struggle with that a lot. And so like, I'm really like, it's really teaching me a lot to hear the way that you talk about training in a higher altitude of like feeling the difficulty of it, but trusting that there'll be a day when it's not that hard. And also that the things you're working towards will be worth it. Is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I'm hearing a lot of like, you believe it will be worth it someday, but you're just not getting that positive feedback yet. And so it's like really a big faith. Like it makes me think about during my faith crisis when I like didn't feel the spirit. And I think I was going through depression and like, I didn't feel the spirit for a really long time. And I felt like um, during that time, it was hard to not question and be like, did I make those things up or, you know, like, what's the point? But I did have to really ground myself in past spiritual experiences I had. And eventually that like spirit did come back into my life. And so it kind of gave me that glimpse of like, there will be times in life when I don't feel it, but I think it's not there. And it kind of feels like that's what you're having to do a lot during your life. Is that accurate or? Yeah, I would say that's accurate. Yeah. Does that happen with this? Do you feel the spirit a lot or? 
Um, I do feel capable of feeling the spirit. I think um, that's probably the thing that keeps me going because I don't feel joy that often, but I can still feel the spirit. I can still recognize that. And I guess that's a big blessing. Wow, that's cool. So even if you're pretty depressed, you could still feel the spirit during that. I think so, yes. Wow, thanks for sharing. So um, the last kind of question we wanted to discuss, and then we can also just go into any last things you want to share. But for the last question, um, what do you wish that church members understood about living with depression and what would make church feel like a safer space for you? Um, one thing that that makes and would make church a safe space is just um, having people know that I have depression. It, there's still sort of, it's definitely getting better, but there's definitely still a stigma around mental health and I don't always feel comfortable talking about it. Um, but if someone already knows and then you know, they find me crying in the bathroom or something. Yeah. It makes it easier to just say, it's a bad mental health day. You know, I don't have to like make up an excuse. No big explanation or, or, yeah, or yeah. explain everything right there. So just having people that know is a helpful thing. Um, I also think that, and I, I know you've talked about this before, but the language that we use at church, it is important to be, to be careful with our language. Like the, like the verse and the quote I shared about no, no success can make up for a failure in the home. Like having those strongly worded things mm-hmm. is really going to affect a lot of people, you know, in different circumstances. Yeah. And I think it's helpful to, to really consider your word choices. And I appreciate um, teachers that will rephrase things or, or, um, or give give us as students, you know, multiple ways to think about something mm. instead of just a hard, fast rule. So maybe even like if they're quoting a church leader, it's like they're not going to change his words maybe necessarily, but maybe they could like humanize that or add context of like, hey, we know that it's been taught that like no failure will compensate for a failure in the home. But like, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I shout at my kids, you know, can we talk about that? Or would that kind of thing be helpful to you? Yeah, definitely. I like that humanize. Mm-hmm. And con- yeah, and context, um, making sure that it um, that we can still define truth while giving giving airtime to our human experience and and our coming short to those truths sometimes. That's kind of a really big paradox with the gospel is that like the teachings are perfect or that the doctrines we hold on to are perfect, but then, we're all not perfect yet and we're not supposed to be perfect yet. Right. So like, how do you talk about those things in a way that really inspires broken human people instead of making them feel like they're never going to be enough? Yeah. That's a funny change I've experienced that I, <laughs> when I was younger, I, I, I mean, I always struggle with some pride, but I feel like I was really prideful when I was younger, I grew up in a family where we did, and I'm putting air quotes around this, everything right. Like mm-hmm. we did, we were very concerned with, uh, um, perceptions. Um, and so when I was younger, I used to enjoy the talks that were, you know, brimstone and hellfire because, because <laughs> I was thinking, yeah, other people need to hear this. I, I'm already doing everything right. And as I've grown older and realized how, <laughs> how short I come of, of the, of perfection, you know, I really appreciate the, the talks and lessons that, that relate to our, our failures and, and Christ's atonement and, and how he makes up for that. Um, even when we come short. 
Thanks for sharing that. I think that's super important for us to to keep in mind. Like, I think that at church, we do sometimes feel this need to like put on our Sunday mask of like, I'm here and I'm happy about it. And everything's, all my ducks are in a row. My kids are all dressed in their Sunday vests, you know? But I think that it, it for me, it's it makes me feel much safer when you get there and you remember these people are real too. Like they're not all, sometimes you literally feel like you're the only one that comes and you're like, I don't have it all together, but everybody else does. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that those, those even like honest open reminders that like we're in this together, like we all have our struggles and we all have these things that we're not displaying at church, but that are affecting us even when we're here. Wasn't well, your episode about um, triggers at church was was um, one of the things that kind of prompted me to open up to you more about in this context. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought it was interesting. So I personally find it to be triggering and this is going to sound so silly, but I personally find it triggering to hear about people's blessings at church like mm. when they talk about and of course we want to testify of blessings that should be part of the gospel mm. um, but hearing about good things that happen to other people when i'm in that hopeless state and can't remember any of the good things mm. that have happened to me feels so like confirming of this darkness you know like oh they have good things and nothing good ever happens to me yeah um so i loved your your episode about triggers that we can claim our own triggers and take Mm. responsibility for them. Because of course I'm not going to ask someone like when they get up to say their talk and I'll be like, could you just not say the good things, please? (laughs) Whatever you do, don't say you're thankful for this and this and this. I only want to hear it if you're struggling, you know? (laughs) Could you just get up and cry a bit more? The sad kind of cry. (laughs) So of course I'm not going to say that, but just to hear you use those words um, and so that I could recognize, oh, that is a, a trigger for me, but mm. it is my trigger. And I can, I can acknowledge that I can feel the bad feelings if I need to. Yeah. Um, but then I can also separate that, um, separate their experience from my experience and separate the bad feelings I'm currently experiencing from hopefully separate that from that, you know, sort of eternal feeling of hopelessness and try and, um, look for, look for the good feelings and the feelings of the spirit outside of that, of those triggering feelings. Thanks for sharing that. I think that's really helpful for me to hear because, you know, I, I'm very, I've become familiar with my own triggers, but I don't think about things like that and how it would affect, like if you're already feeling depressed, hearing somebody's happy, spirit-filled, joy-filled week could be really, really discouraging and be like, am I doing something wrong? Like, because I'm living the same gospel, right? (laughs) That could be really difficult. And I'm also um, curious because you talked about, you know, it's actually not helpful when you're depressed to hear other people's happy moments, which I think some people would actually think that that would be. Like, I think if some people knew you were depressed, they would be like, oh, well, just think about blah, 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 all these great blessings or something. Like, what would actually be helpful for you if um, you were depressed and someone approached you to talk about it or like noticed and wanted to say something comforting to you? That's a good question. I think... Um, I think that goes back to the knowledge that, that I have that I'm always going to be depressed. There's not like a fix to this, um, yeah. to this problem. And then it goes back to just having people know already that it's depression and maybe, maybe they don't need to say anything. I just need someone that's still there, even though, even yeah. though I can't explain my own feelings and to acknowledge that it's real and it's big and I'm going to go on. So they get to go on. It's okay. We don't have to make a huge thing of this. I'll just, you know. Yeah. Like you actually maybe don't want someone to be like, okay, 
dive into your deepest, darkest feelings and tell me. You're like, no, actually, like, I've been dealing with that for a long time. I just want to know there's people that will be consistently there for me. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm also, it helped me to hear that too, because, you know, I'm such a fixer and, and that's a detail oriented brain thing, but also an OCD brain thing, but also a human thing. Like people, when they hear a problem, their brain is like, I'm a super, supercomputer designed to, to fix things. So I will fix it for you. Right. <laughs> and so like for you, you've kind of like accepted like that your depression is chronic and will, you don't expect it to be going away, which I think people like me would hear that and be like, well, I'm sure there's a way for it to go away. Like you just haven't found it yet. And that, right. that seems like that probably would be helpful for you, right? Yeah. <laughs> so like, it's actually more helpful for someone to accept, like Carly knows what, what is going on. She's has experience with this. I'm going to trust her judgment of the situation instead of assuming that I have this magic secret that's going to fix it or something. I'm going to just like support her in what she's doing. Is that? Yeah, that's so true. That's a great way to put it, to trust that I can <laughs> trust my own judgment on it. Yeah. I did share one time in a Sunday school lesson that I experienced depression. I think it was probably the first time that most of the people in the room had heard that. And someone came up to me afterwards and he was like, I know this isn't, um, you know, it's probably nothing for you, but my daughter dealt with depression and she started driving a tractor and then, and that, <laughs> and that for her cured a lot. Wow. And I really, I really like this guy. So I didn't, yeah, yeah. I didn't take it hardly, but at the same time, I was like, I don't want to hear what worked for her because, yeah. because I fully expect that there's not necessarily something that's going to work for me. Yeah. And hearing you say that, it's easier for someone to trust you than for them to be like, I have this really random piece of advice <laughs> that even I know nothing about you or your, your context. Just yeah. get attracted entirely. <laughs> I know you don't live in uh, farmland, but you can drive it around the neighborhood. <laughs> uh, I'm just relating though, because like through my own mental illness, there's been times where people have given me like the most random, well-meaning advice. And you're just like, in the context of having lived with your own mental illness for so long, it just seems like very hurtful that someone would be like, oh, I heard this one person say this one thing about this thing. And if you do this, you'll be better. And you, you kind of feel like, I think that if it was that simple, I would have already figured it out. Totally. <laughs> um, so just to like summarize, church would feel safer if you also mentioned that like people knowing, which I think kind of surprised me because we'd still have this stigma about like mental illness being shameful or something or somehow reflecting on us poorly, but you actually feel like it would be helpful if more people knew about depression, about your depression specifically. Yeah. But of course I'd feel more comfortable telling people if that stigma wasn't as prevalent. Yeah. It's kind of a double-edged sword there. Like, right. <laughs> like I want more people to know, but also that stigma does exist and people, some people might have judgments or, things like that. And I also liked what you said about like, if people know, then you don't have to, this brought up um, something that I'm kind of passionate about is like, m people with mental illness usually have to be their own advocate. Mm -hmm. And that's exhausting. Like you said, like, if people already knew if you were crying in the bathroom, and they came in, then they could just be like, Oh, I know, it's I don't even have to ask, I don't have to, you don't have to explain anything to me, you don't have to advocate for yourself, like, I'm just going to be here for you. Versus I feel like often mental people with mental health issues have to be the one in the moment to explain, well, I'm just really depressed and this is what that means for me and blah, 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 blah. And this is what you can do. Don't do this, do this. Like, <laughs> do you ever feel that weight of having to be your own advocate? Yeah, totally. And, and often it's easier to just be like, nothing, I'm fine, than trying to convince people, yeah. you know, like nothing's wrong. This is just my state of mind currently. 
but it's still real. Like, don't dismiss me. It's still really real to me, but I can't actually put in words like what's wrong. Does that feel like a little bit less safe for you at church because of how much emphasis our church has on gratitude and joy and everybody feeling joy when they live the gospel and stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes. Cause I definitely, yeah, you're supposed to have some joy now in living the gospel. It's not all supposed to be for eternity, but so if you're not feeling it now, it feels like you've done something wrong. And just knowing that people in the congregation might be like, oh, I know how to cheer you up or I know how to make you happy or right. I always feel joy because of this or this. Yeah. Or have like you that. been reading your scriptures? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> because that was totally my mentality is like if someone's depressed, they just need to read their scriptures. And I was so, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm so embarrassed that I ever thought that. But like I can just see why it would be hard to be open and honest in a congregation with people who had the mindset that I had of like, oh, well, here's the fix. The gospel has already given you the fixes, right? Like go to the temple or do this or do that. And you could be like, well, I could chase that my whole life and never be fixed because this is part of my mortal experience. Yes. Is there any last things that you wanted to share with us before we... No, that ruins your last question, but I think we covered it all. (laughs) (laughs) That is a good last question. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for sharing, Carly. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for letting me talk. It's nice to be able to share my experience. All opinions expressed in this podcast are my own. I do not represent the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I hope you enjoyed listening today. And you know what? Instead of saying, have a great day, I'm going to say, have a day. It might be a good one. It might not. And that's okay. Keep growing. Keep loving yourself. You've got this. Thank you.